This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the 49th episode of Total Saints Podcast. I'm Ben, and with me are our two regular, well-weathered Saints watchers, Steve and Adam. Even though it's Halloween this coming week, we're going to try our best not to sound like the Grim Reapers of podcasting, but instead blow away the cobwebs and aim to pumpkin some energy into the regular spine-chilling goings-on at St. Mary's. Adam, you all set for Halloween? Yeah, I can't wait. It's like a, it's a big day, isn't it? it is. um, that's, that is obviously sarcasm. Do you get many trick-or-treaters? not really i don't think i don't really get halloween to be honest it all seems a bit of americanized to me yeah you said you were going to be really positive and i've started off very <laughs> already yeah <laughs> i was thinking probably earlier i was thinking for little children with little legs it's probably quite a walk up your drive as well isn't it <laughs> yeah two, two or three miles and of course yeah. the dogs might get i was gonna say time. that the dogs chase release them, yeah. the hounds <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> uh, what about croydon steve i can't imagine that's much safer well, you just you just I tell mean, them to f off, do you? Yeah, well, I'll just turn the lights off, and then there's <laughs> there's there's no uh, no indication that anybody's home. Yeah. Um, but when, when is Halloween? Is it Tuesday or it's, Wednesday? Uh, the thirty first. Yeah, I think that's Wednesday. Thirty first or Wednesday. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to be here anyway. No, so, there you uh, go. Good. So, I'll be uh, I'll be work, working up north this week. So uh, yeah, right. fun and games. Yeah, be kind and gentle to everyone if they do come knocking at your door, Adams. I, I imagine I was just going to say, I imagine you sort of give away what jewellery and things like that rather than sweets to you, Adam. Old cravats that you don't wear anymore. <laughs> You have a very, very warped opinion of uh, of what my life is like. I'd love it to be like this. I'd love this to be true. Good I stuff. thought journalism was really well paid. Yeah, regional journalism especially. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like living the high life. It really is. I mean, I'm, I'm sat here with my Rolex on, the gold Bentleys out the front. Yeah. 
the, which the, the butler's currently polishing. Which bring me a cup of tea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you being fed grapes? <laughs> and oh Ferrero Rocher. The podcast's gone mad already, but uh, there we go. So, Exo, well, we're going to review uh, Newcastle, back, straight back to reality there. We're going to review Newcastle, and we're going to do our first ever Total Recall with the aim to uh, hopefully um, cheer everyone up a little bit. And uh, other than that, we're going to um, discuss briefly Leicester, although we're not quite sure at this stage whether it will happen or not, and um, look ahead to Manchester City next week. This is Total Saints Podcast 49, and we're proudly sponsored by Happy Hot Tubs. HappyHotTubs.co.uk At Happy Hot Tubs, we specialise in hot tubs. It's all we've done for 35 years. So if you're thinking about a hot tub and want to speak to someone, then we're the place for honest, clear and friendly advice. Plus, right now we have 0% available on our hot tubs, meaning you can spread the cost in easy payments. You deserve happy. Come and get it at Happy Hot Tubs. Conditions apply. Visit HappyHotTubs.co.uk HappyHotTubs.co.uk 0% excludes free throw range. Saints played rock-bottom Newcastle United this weekend with just two points from their nine games this season. However, it may be predictably ended nil-nil, meaning St Mary's wait for a home Premier League win goes on. It's just one in 16 games now. Adam, you called it season-defining during the week. The rest of us called it must-win. It turned out that it was much like the uh, turgid and uninspiring stuff of the last 18 months, so probably no surprises. No, not really. And uh, what a lesson uh, with our positivity of our predictions last week. Nil, I'm not... Yeah. I did say 3-0, and I was still really confident before the game. But despite all this um, don't underestimate Newcastle stuff, I, I, I fully expected them to be awful. I must confess I didn't expect them to be quite as awful as they were, but I thought they'd be pretty bad. And I, I thought, oh, well, Saints will, will probably win this at a canter. And part of my logic was the fact that over the last probably two and a half years, they seem to have had this tendency to have got to the point where you feel like, they've really got to win this game and then they win that game and and then everybody's a bit more optimistic and you think well this might be the point they kick on inevitably they don't kick on and then they end up not too far down the road at another match where you think they've really got to win this game and they manage to win that game and then the same thing happens and we just repeat <laughs> this cycle over and over again and I thought oh this is a game that looks like they really need to win yeah and, and so the logic is that they will win um just just because that's sort of what has happened uh so yeah it was a bit of a surprise and a, and a really um a frustrating game and the fans were obviously frustrated that's the first time this season we've heard boos and there were very substantial boos at the full-time whistle as well and, and quite understandably i think um i asked mark hughes about that after the game and and his his reaction to it was kind of well it's a build up a frustration because it's been so long since we've won it's not about the performance I, I that is true to an extent maybe a little generous because it wasn't as if Saints did enough to win they just needed to take some chances of course but yeah. um, it wasn't as if they exactly played a very poor Newcastle team off the park you know it's, it, it wasn't it wasn't quite that one-sided and and yes there would have been cheers if it was a 1-0 win thanks to Shane Long sticking the ball in at the end but you know I don't think it would have been people overjoyed either so a lot to be concerned about and particularly um looking at what's coming up now in the the next 11 matches uh six of the next 11 are against the big six Mm. the chances are you are not going to get very many points and if you say that part of the problem with saints at the moment especially at home is a mental issue and that perhaps they're struggling to perform when they're under real pressure well, those five games that aren't against the top six, they are going to be under colossal pressure now. Mm, mm. Um, 
And if they're struggling to handle early in the season, well, things are going to could get a hell of a lot worse for them. And, and right now, when you just if you take that overview of the fixtures, that double header either side of this November international break, home to Watford, away to Fulham, looks absolutely huge now in the context of the season. There, there appears to be not an awful lot of margin for error in the results in those two games if you're realistically going to avoid just a dogfight for the mm. remainder of the season. Yeah, and Steve, a good mate of mine that lives in Edinburgh, John, who's a Saints fan as well, went down with a couple of his Geordie supporting mates to watch the Newcastle-Brighton game last week, and his feedback to me was, if we can't beat them next week, we are in a heck of a lot of trouble, and uh, I mean, there was no That's ambition, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no ambition shown by Newcastle, they didn't have one shot on target, and uh, I saw that their local journal called it a, an abject performance, so... I'm not sure if that says more about yeah. Well, I'm not sure if that says more about them than us, but it's uh, worrying, eh? Well, they were pathetic. Let's make let's make absolutely no bones about that. Newcastle were absolutely pathetic. They still took a point um, yesterday. Yes, and that and that's the problem. I mean, we had what 22 shots, but four on target. Yeah. And I think of those four, I think only one was even a vaguely meaningful save in what the first or second minute when El Yanusi should just pass it along the six yard line for Austin to tap into an open goal. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's another one of those games where if that game happened in isolation in a sort of run of games where we were playing okay and getting results, then you kind of shrug it off and say, well, those games happen. Mm. You're going to have games where you spend 90% of the game in the in the opposition's final third, just like the final ball's not quite right, or the finish just isn't quite right, or the opposition keeper has a worldie, or or whatever. And you and you can shrug shrug your shoulders and say, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, but we're doing this every time we play against one of the teams below us now, and you're kind of struggling to get to a situation where you could take any sort of positive from that situation. I mean, Hughes Hughes came up with this baffling thing about having kept two consecutive clean sheets. Alex McCarthy has not had a save to make in those two games because <laughs> yeah. the quality the quality of opposition's attack has been that bad. I don't think it's really been that we've been strong at the back because we've not well I mean we've not seen either Bournemouth or um Newcastle really run at us or give us any problems. I mean let's face it, I mean next Sunday is gonna be is gonna be the test of whether we've tightened up at the back because I can see that being an absolute hatful. Yeah, and just to, to touch on possibly our player of the season so far, Adam, but big miss for Saints not having uh, Hoiberg available. Yeah, I think that was that was huge for Saints, and also the fact that his absence was such a late absence as well. I mean, Mark Hughes didn't find out until about 7am-ish on the day of the game cause, because Hoiberg had been ill overnight on Friday, basically. Um so they'd obviously trained and prepared with with him in the team and then had to make a, a last ditch change, as it were, once the players uh, congregated on on Saturday morning ahead of the game. So obviously that was never going to help them. That wouldn't help if it was anybody, let alone the player who's probably been your most influential, most forward thinking. Mm. That said, it, I, I, I can't pretend that I, I wasn't somewhat surprised by the selection of Romeo. Um As much as I like Oriol as a player... I did think kind of that that sort of home game you got to win, uh, and you Hoiberg is kind of your positive force, and you, and you've got Armstrong uh, there, who's obviously a more forward-thinking player. Did suggest to me that here is another one of these summer signings, and maybe Vestergaard falls into that category as well. That you know Hughes just doesn't seem to fancy that much really mm. because I, I thought that unless there was something we didn't know about Armstrong's fitness, he seemed the natural 
person to come in for Hoiberg in that in that instance. It wasn't as if surely they were expecting that much from Newcastle in those areas that they felt like they had to have a sort of defensive midfield anchor in there when in a game they had to win. So that threw up some questions for me as well, I think. And Steve, you know, there's been a lot of made of it now, five games without a, a goal for Saints. Um, I saw some interesting stats yesterday that said uh, Liverpool have now had 145 shots at goal this season. Saints are third on 146 shots. Again, whether you can call them shots and at goal, that's uh, another story. Chelsea 187, Man City 198. So we basically had the third amount of attempts on goal this season. We've only scored six goals, one of which was a penalty. As Jeff Stellan said yesterday on uh, Soccer Saturday, even the uh, Jehovah's Witness have a better conversion rate than that. I think those sort of statistics can be pretty misleading, I think, because I don't think anybody would argue that we've battered teams to the extent that we've had a similar number of attempts on goal as um, Liverpool or Manchester City. And I mean, let's face it, some some of the shots we were having yesterday as we got kind of desperate towards the last 15 minutes, um, I mean, particularly those two from Gabbiadini, where (laughs) where he's, he's just taking the pot shot from God knows where. And I mean the balls end the balls end up nearer the corner flag than than the goal. I mean it's like um, I mean Pogba put in a similarly pathetic shot um, this afternoon for for Man United that went out for a throw in. Mm. And it's like well can't count that as an actual chance. I think and the, and this is where I think the the sort of new world statistics, if you like, of things like expected goals and expected assists and things like that, I think do give you a better context of of the chances that you're creating, because I'm pretty sure that our expected goals will probably not be an awful lot higher than the actual goals that we've scored. Mm. I don't think there's, there's been many times where an opposition keeper has been forced into a, into a world-class save to keep us at bay. No. Um, perhaps only, I mean, the Chelsea keeper made a couple of good saves, I thought in, in that game. But other than that, we're not, actually creating as many chances as the numbers suggest I don't think yeah and then the one glorious chance we do create Adam 89th minute it falls to Shane Long two goals in 64 club and country games now uh, it's possibly uh, the last person you really want it to fall to uh, I mean it's beyond the joke now really isn't it and I, I, you it, know, I know he tries his hardest but I mean Premier League striker it's just it's almost embarrassing now well there's a lot of statistics that that fall into that category we're saying at the moment. I mean one home win in 16 uh, with the Watford game obviously is the uh, is the point when if they fail to win that it becomes a year doesn't it then mm. uh, one win in a year which is I don't know if I can even find an adequate word to describe how bad that is. Um they won't, they won't be queuing up for season ticket plus as will they? I don't think so. I mean on a more serious note I I think that um in terms of that it, I can foresee if things don't turn around a lot better from from people I'm speaking to. And these aren't people who are prone to melodrama in the middle of seasons. These are fairly sane, sensible people. Um, A lot of people are already telling me I'm I'm just not bothered in getting a season ticket next year. I can't be bothered. Mm. Um, So I think things have got to get a lot better uh, quickly. Um, But yeah, and then the other stat, of course, that's five games in a row. First time since 2001. Um, without a goal and obviously Shane Long is the sort of the well what do you want to call it standout stat of the strikers but not really that much more encouraging a Charlie Austin stats mm. um, not really that much more encouraging a Manolo Gabbiadini stats Ings yeah okay that's fine but even he's kind of seems to have gone a, a little bit off the boil uh, but oddly he's gone a li- seems to have gone a little bit more off the boil since he's not playing alongside Shane Long so mm. yeah. um 
you know, the thing about Long is he does offer he does offer a lot else as well. I mean, the problem is the goals just aren't there. Yeah, Steve mentioned it, didn't he? After the Wolves game, we were talking about the fact is if you play Austin, Ings then has to play a deeper role. So that's what we're finding if Charlie Austin's in the team like yesterday, that Danny Ings then, is playing 10, 20 yeah, yards behind. There were some times in the first half. I mean, I, I was sat there and I was just had my head in my hands because the, I, I, you'd look up and they'd Saints would work the ball out wide relatively well and you think, OK, good chance to get the ball in the box. You're at home to a team against like Newcastle who showed literally no ambition whatsoever. And and you look up and you think, right, OK, get the ball in the box. In the box is Charlie Austin and four Newcastle defenders. And that's it. Mm. That is it. That is your sole attacking presence. I mean, it got a bit better in the second half, but in the first half. And I was, I was looking around a couple of times going, where's Danny Ings? And I'd see him and he's like midway in the in the half or near the halfway line because he dropped deep to try and bring up the I'd, I'd love to see them just try and get him further up the pitch I don't you know they need to get him in and around the box I know his link-up play is good and, and that is one thing but that they need goals they need him he looks like at the moment the only goal scorer they've got that's in any kind of form so you need him further up the pitch you need him in and around the penalty area so yeah I mean I, I was I couldn't believe at times especially in the first half Saints as a team, collectively, and, and Ings was a symptom of this, they got so deep at times against a team with literally no threat yeah. whatsoever. And you're thinking, get up the pitch. Get up the pitch and look up and I'd see Lamina sat right in front of the back four. And I thought, what? Why? There's, yeah. there's literally no reason to be there. Um, but I think, to be honest, all of this just comes from this this mental block, this mental problem they've got at the moment with, uh, with zero confidence and... Definitely zero confidence playing at St Mary's and and this this struggle in handling the pressure of breaking this uh, these stats and these terrible runs. And that's really what's contributing to this is this nervousness. And it's just like a vicious cycle, because the more you get like that, the harder it gets to break it. Absolutely. And and Steve, Mark, you said after the game to, to the likes of Adam that, that uh, he didn't feel Saints got what they deserved overall. I mean, it, it seems to be coming a bit of a, a broken record. I, I think we've discussed many times that there's more to this situation than just Mark Hughes. But I think, as Adam sort of alluded to there, when you, you see the way that they play sometimes, it's hard to sort of argue whether they do get what they deserve or whether they actually do sort of end up getting what they deserve, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I've got kind of two thoughts on this. Firstly, is that, I mean, Hughes his sort of default approach when when his team hasn't won is to blame the referee. The referee literally had no decisions to make uh, <laughs> yesterday, so he had to find find something else. And now all of a sudden it's, oh, it's just a little bit of luck. Well, no, I'm sorry. You kind of, you make your own luck, I mm. think, with um, sensible team selections, actually having a tactical plan that uh, gets the best out of your best players and other such thoughts like that. And also... I mean, going back to last week where Charlie Austin's obviously felt that he's um, got the authority to have a pop at the fans for, for being for being negative and getting on people's backs. Well, I'm sorry, if you if you're going to come out all Billy Big Bollocks like that, you've got to make damn sure that you back up those words with a performance. Yeah. And the way he waddled around for 63 minutes yep. yesterday was just pathetic. Um, I mean, seriously, the guy's paid. I mean, I don't know. don't know exactly what it is. But 60K? 
give or take. Yeah. And I mean, that's just that's just obscene, obscene amounts of money for a guy who's putting in Sunday league performances at the moment. Mm. And it's I, just not good enough. No, no, I, I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on. And uh, I mean, the other thing that greeted with a few fans, myself uh, this week, Adam, I, I know I tweeted about it, was Mark Hughes obviously saying in the presser that we're not far away from where we want to be. Um, I think, as many <laughs> had sort of said, uh, I think he's probably talk, talking about performance levels. But I, I think with all due respect to fans like myself, we don't really give an SHIT about performances. It's about ideally wins, isn't it? You know, getting wins on the board and points on the board. Yeah, I mean, his his comments this week were were interesting. I, I thought he's in a bit of a difficult position because I think Mark Hughes, in fairness, is he's been around the game a lot. He's he's a realist. I think I think he can see the situation probably for what it is, but obviously there's only so much that he could say in public if that is how he feels. And to say this week, basically, you know, look around. This is not a top six, top seven club. So forget that. Shocking. Which is kind of what he said, which is which is true. But we know this. Mm. Well, I don't think I don't think anybody's trying to kid themselves, other than perhaps um, Kruger thinking that we're some some sort of world world dominating force that's just going through a bit of a bad spell. I don't think anybody thinks we're anything other than average. I mean, potentially, pot- yeah, potentially challenging for seventh if conditions went our way for an entire season, which they're generally not going but, to. But Mark Hughes is making the point that that's, that's not where they are now. They're not even in that category. They are in with everybody else. And that is as simple as that. They are in that group where, as he said, we are in a, we're, we're really basically of a standard that we could beat anybody probably in that rest of that group on any given day. And they could beat us and we'll win some of them and we'll lose some of them. And that is, probably a relatively fair reality in fact if anything they're slightly worse than that at the moment but nonetheless that uh, combined with the interesting talk about obviously the summer transfers which i pressed him a bit more on in in the written section to ask but basically from from what he'd said do you think that enough business was done in the summer then to which he kind of gave an answer well there were sort of four players signed Uh, most of the work the due diligence should be done i just had to sanction the deals which i did um, I hope I think that they'll all come good. But basically, other than Ings, who settled in quickly, it's been a bit of a struggle, really, for the others. And, and that slight hesitation and thinking uh, that he gave the question as to whether they'd really done enough, kind of the whole context of what happened suggested to me that he was sort of of the opinion that probably they hadn't, which was obviously the opinion that I, I'm of, as I've said on the pod before. And I, I think that... It's difficult because when results are poor, it's easy to get too negative and everything's terrible and, and the world's a terrible place and all that kind of stuff. But I think a, a, a lot of the the more sensible criticisms that have been made of the club, and we've made some of them on the pod as well, I think uh, of the club as a whole are kind of coming home to roost now. And they're, and they're true. And there's only so long you get away with it, I think, in, in, in football, probably in life as well. You only get away with it so long. And, and I think... Saints are having this problem now and I think without some reasonable level of change uh, in the direction they're going um, you kind of feel that they're one of these clubs that they kind of got away with it last year they're probably looking like they're going to be in it again this year if nothing changes they might get away with it again this year but then if nothing changes again will will they keep getting away with it because eventually that sort of record of doing things that sort of 
refusal to change the way that you do things eventually it catches up with you in the end and you do and there'll be a year you don't get away with it the Sunderland principle yeah well exactly and I think we're already looking at Cardiff Huddersfield and Newcastle and saying there's three teams that are worse than us you know so, so for me yeah and, and for me Adam I mean I don't even see us as a seventh to 14th side I mean I see us as a 15th to the 20th position side now I mean we are literally 16th 17th position would probably be a half successful season based on the start I think my one of my big concerns is that and I, I mean I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this because I you know your mind can play tricks on you a little bit but they, they obviously didn't start last season great but to my mind this this has been a bit worse than it was at this time last year it's yep. just generally all around. It just uh, maybe that's because last year happened, and therefore the feeling is also lower than it was this time last year. I do appreciate there might be a a sense of feeling as as much as anything else. But... Just before, um, yeah, just before Steve comes in there. So I, I mean, I've been making the point through a few pods, haven't I, the last few weeks that we are literally mirroring last season in terms of results. Um, which again we've done. We drew down at Bournemouth last year. We drew at home to Newcastle. So from the same run of fixtures last season, we are literally mirroring it. But I did see something that actually uh, Christian had put out on Twitter earlier that he's the guy that did our graphics for us. So thanks, Christian. Pellegrino had 34 games, 23.5% win rate. Mark Hughes, 22 games, 22.7% win rate. So he's actually worse at the moment than Pellegrino based on the, the fixtures that he's had as Saints manager, Steve. Don't think that surprises me. I think people had relatively low expectations of Pellegrino. I think anybody who'd kind of seen his his track record and, and what his Alaves side were like expected the kind of defensive-minded um, setup that we had. What I don't think we quite expected when Hughes got the job on a permanent basis was that the defence would basically just disintegrate and that we would still not be able to score a goal. Um, Hughes's teams generally, have, while the defence usually comes a cropper eventually over an extended period of time, they generally start off quite solid and with half-decent attacking intent. Mm. And yet we're kind of already at the point where things go wrong for him at clubs. So it's one of those where you kind of wonder whether whether the game has just changed so quickly in the space of three or four years. I mean, you've got really sort of supremely successful managers like Jose Mourinho struggling to get any sort of a tune out of a squad that that costs best part of half a billion pounds to put together. <laughs> I know. And I mean, Hughes obviously isn't working to that sort of budget, but he's he's had plenty of money to spend in all of the all of his recent recent roles. Yep. And yet the things that he was doing that worked when he was at Manchester City at Blackburn and I mean even even like the Wales job when he when he first started out in management and did a good job there none of those things seem to be working anymore yeah. it's one of those situations where you kind of think well okay we're now going to have to go and think outside the box again which might actually suit us because that's where we've had success over the over the past 6 or 7 years has been by not doing what everyone else does We've gone, no, okay, we've got a plan and such and such a person kind of fits into that pattern. They've got some sort of track record, although they're not a big name because obviously we wouldn't be attracting that big name. Yeah. So, yeah, let's let's go out and look for someone who's who might actually just get people off their feet and 
make it all a bit interesting again. I know it's a totally different set of circumstances, but I did see uh, when I was uh, watching some of the highlights of the Real Madrid-Barcelona game earlier that uh, Pellegrino's Lagana side are in the relegation zone and they've only won one more game than us this season, but ironically they have beaten Barcelona. So uh, there we go. It doesn't sound like he's getting on any better over there. Um, look, Adam, I, I just before we um, finish up on the Newcastle game, then I put a, a tweet out this morning, a personal tweet... One to hopefully try and make a few people chuckle. So I put the clock's going back an hour. I've got me thinking. I wonder which one of the below will come along first. And I had four options. One of which was uh, Premier League home win for Saints. Um, the second one was Spurs new stadium. Third was Brexit. And the fourth was uh, the end of the world. What do you reckon uh, the winning vote was, Adam, out of those four? Probably the end of the world. Yeah, 59%. Well done. Um, so 18% said Brexit. 13% said Spurs New Stadium would come uh, first. And uh, only 10% said that it would be a Premier League home win for Saints. So uh, there you go. I think I'm probably in line with that. But um, look, Adam, look at the next six home games for Saints. We've got Watford, Man United, Arsenal, West Ham, Man City, Everton. Where's our home win coming out of that? Watford. It has to be. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be. Because even like that run that I said about the 11 games I was looking at this morning, I, as soon as they come out of that, the next two were like Leicester away and Everton at home. So they're hardly gimmies. In that run, as you just pointed out, the one of the games that they've got, the five that they've got that are um, more winnable, I guess, is West Ham at home. They've got some teams kind of around them who are struggling, Fulham, Cardiff and Huddersfield. But all of those are away from home, which are difficult as well. So that suits us, to be honest. Mm. Well, but in fairness, it probably does. They are. They have been better. And that is something that they've they've had for a few years now, isn't it? As well, post Kuman, they have generally been better. Even in in Kuman's second season, I thought we were better away from home than at home. It was just that we had we had individuals who were capable of getting us results out of nothing in in home games yeah i I think so but i just want to pick up on one point you guys have have made about hughes and just just to again sort of balance that off a little bit by saying i just for whatever we may disagree with what he does i I think our disagreements general most of the ones i hear are, are relatively minor they're like actually i'd prefer he would have played this formation or maybe you know this player instead of that player I still think it comes down to the fact that whoever they get in charge with the squad they've got, I just don't I, I don't foresee that anybody's going to do do something amazing with what there is. I, I just think, as I've said before, some poor transfer windows cumulatively. Um, the team, you know, when they've sold good players recently, they've replaced them with players who are a little bit worse. So the team has actually got worse in a division that's constantly moving forward. I think whoever they get in is going to struggle. And I think we've seen that with three managers in a row working with largely the same group of players. Drag yourselves in. I think it's going to be a long winter. (laughs) Okay, we're going to pilot a new feature we're looking to introduce into our podcast going forward called Total Recall. And you'll know when Total Recall is going to happen because you'll hear this clip beforehand. Play. Here's 
Total Recall has evolved as an idea mainly because, well, myself particularly can't face a long, dark, cold winter producing Groundhog Day pods on Saints not scoring, not being able to defend, not being able to win, etc. So hopefully that won't remain the case with them for too long, but for the moment we'll see it as uh, TSP recalls some of the most memorable games Saints have played over the years, most likely the more recent couple of decades as I'm not as old as I probably sound. It may be rubbish, if it is, then let us know, please. It may be great, if it is, then let us know that as well, please. We'll discuss the key moments, goals, players, decisions from one particular game, hopefully with the help of your memories from your attendance at the game as well. To make it marginally more exciting than I've no doubts it sounds already, we'll put a vote out ahead of each pod when we plan to do a recall, so you can decide which game we'll talk about. Does that sound alright to you, Adam? Yes. Excellent. And Steve, I know you're uh, attended St Mary's uh, many, many years, so I'm sure there's uh, a lot of memories that you'll be uh, keen to get through as well. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, it would make a, make a nice change for the for the last year or so. Exactly. Well, that's why I thought we should start to do it, because it gives us a chance to talk about something positive and uh, people aren't listening to us uh, go on about the same games and uh, the same frustrations every week. But suffice to say, there's a very, very high chance that uh, Total Recall will only ever include Saints wins. I thought we should start in style, so we're going to look back to December 2003 when Gordon Strachan Saints beat Harry Redknapp's Portsmouth 3-0 at St Mary's. Just three weeks after we'd beaten them lot, 2-0 in the Carling Cup, nearly 32,000 packed in to watch Saints. That day the team was Niemi, Dodd, Lundik Vam, Michael Svensson, Danny Higginbottom, Pahars, Taufer, Prutton, Chrissy Marsden, James Beattie and Brett Ormrod. We even had talent on the bench as well, the likes of Kevin Phillips and Anders Svensson. Pompey on their side included the likes of Tim Sherwood, Teddy Sheringham and Alexei Smert and the referee just to cap everything was Jeff Winter. The first 34 minutes were fairly uneventful mainly because Harry had come to park the bus but then Jason Dodd trotted over to take a corner in front of the chapel stand and this happened. Southampton looking for a breakthrough oh it's gone straight in Schimmel couldn't keep it out and Jason Dodd will claim the credit an extraordinary goal Steve, it was quite a uh, effort from Dotty from the corner. What do you remember of it? Well, I was obviously down down the other end in the northern, so I've got that sort of hundred yards um, separation from it. So it was it was all a little bit weird. Obviously, the, the cross came in. It kind of looked like he just overhit it. I don't think we had anybody anywhere near at the back post. And then all of a sudden, Sebastian Schemmel on the post just seemed to get in an almighty tangle, and all of a sudden he's headed the ball against the bar and in, and. It was kind of a sort of delayed reaction on the goal. It was like, has that actually gone in? Has he actually made? Has he actually screwed that up like that? And once everyone realizes what's gone on, just bodies everywhere. People flying five rows down because obviously we've, we've not played him in a league game for for so many years. Mm. That was what first league meeting in fifteen I years. Think it was, I think something like that. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Um, I didn't research that bit. I should have. I didn't realize you were going to yeah, ask that. Eight, Apologies. Eighty-eight, I think it was. <laughs> so. Um, meant a huge amount at that point and they'd obviously been struggling for most of the season up until that point so it was kind of a sort of reassertion of local dominance I guess I actually had a season ticket in the chapel those days before I moved to the northern and you're right I do remember it was a bit like ping ball it seemed to sort of hit his, the crossbar on Schemmel's head about three or four times before it actually went in but uh, there we go before we move on to uh, Marin Pahas' fantastic second goal I managed to root out Adam a 2003-2004 match report from the game in the Daily Echo and uh, it had a fantastic opening gambit uh, the following day it was printed and it said Christmas is traditionally a time for turkey and stuffing yesterday at St Mary's Pompey played the part of the turkey and Saints gave them a good stuffing. As I say, there was no name on the report. Adam, you were at the Daily Echo in those days, a fledgling career maybe, but uh, tell us that was your work. No, I don't think it was. 
uh, to be honest, Total Recall for me is going to be Total Don't Recall because I have the worst memory uh, yes, for these yes. things. The one thing I do remember about this time, though, is that we uh, decided to mark this occasion, I, I believe, by playing a match for the Southern Daily Echo against the Portsmouth News. Right. Uh, we played a series of games over two or three years when to, to commemorate the teams playing each other. We even got a trophy and we played at Haven and Waterlooville gave us their ground for the away game. And we had AFC Totten's ground for the uh, for the home game. And they were incredibly tight affairs. I have a feeling there was only a goal or two in the three games. So um, it's a bit like watching Saints now, really. You've gone <laughs> off and done a total different total recall here. I'm just telling you what I remember because if you want my memories of the game, I don't. I don't even remember it took place. So. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Just just briefly then, how did you perform in those three games then, Adam? I, I mean, I used to play in goal behind you at left back, and uh, I've certainly seen some uh, you know interesting performances. Let's say that. Well, what what would you predict my performance would be like then? Shaky. <laughs> oh dear. Moving on then. Actually, I was going to say the match report was uh, it was actually a very good read. I, I was chuckling away as well, it definitely I, uh, wasn't um, mine then. Well, there, there, you go. <laughs> there you go. So uh, what I was thinking I would do is I'd dig it out, and I'm sure with your permission, Adam, I'd attach it underneath the podcast when we put it out, so that people can have a, a read through it. So Saints go into the break one 0 up. The hour mark comes and goes, and there's still not really much going on. You feel that Saints need another goal to really put Pompey to bed. Then the ball breaks to Marion Pahars, and he does this. Pahars. It opens up. Oh, yes! Marion Pahars makes it 2-0 to Southampton. The little Latvian was out of the game injured for a year. But he returns to make his mark on this South Coast derby. Steve, it was over a year between Marion scoring that goal against Pompey and his previous effort in September 2002. And what a beauty it was, cutting inside and bending it beyond Harold Wappenaar, whoever the heck he was. Not that the Pompey fans saw much of it, of course, because they were all stood blinded by the sun in the northern, probably like yourself. Uh, well, obviously, being in the in the home section of the northern, you're, you're shaded from the sun by the roof of the Kingsland stand. So we had a, we had a perfectly good view of it all. And um, yeah, and what a ridiculous goal that was. Um, it was... Just Bahaz had 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 his injury problems for for a few years up up at that point I think, and it was the noise level from from that goal was kind of a reflection not just the occasion, but also that it was Bahaz and he he'd obviously had such a such a rotten time of it with with injuries having been such a key player for us more or less since he joined us joined the yeah. club back in '99, and yeah just the release from everybody and and from Marion himself. Um, when that went in, just lifted the roof off the place. It was incredible. Absolutely. One of the loudest cheers I remember at St Mary's, although whenever I watch it back, uh, as I was doing when I was researching this, I, I still, for some reason, think the keeper should have saved it. It was almost like it went through him, but it was a, a fantastic goal. And uh, Adam, look, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about Marin a lot more over these uh, numerous total recalls we're going to do through the winter, no doubt. And uh, Mark Sanderson did a fantastic podcast with him a, a few weeks back, for those that know Mark. Great little player, Marin. He's uh, scored some fantastic goals for Saints over the years. Yeah, he was cracking, wasn't he? He's a, he's a real one of those that goes down as a little bit of a cult hero as well. Really a, a top player, wasn't he? He had the, the Latvian Michael Owen. Apparently so, yeah. That's what, that's what he was always called, as, as I recall. But he's a nice lad as well. He was a nice guy. I always remember him being very friendly and quite chirpy most of the time. And yeah, obviously a, a top player, especially in those 
uh, I mean, later with BT in sort of more of a cameo role, but before before that, before the BT Ormerod kind of axis really leading the line for Saints and being their main man for a few years. He was a really good player. Yeah, and uh, I know in Mark's podcast, Marion said to him that the the one sort of downside was that he never had a chance to really say a proper goodbye to, to Saints and Saints fans, which uh, you, you hope he may get that opportunity again one day. Well, I think he's he's wanted that in the past, hasn't he? I think we've done a few pieces with him uh, in the Echo down the years, and he's always sort of said similar, that, that kind of he feels that he never had a proper goodbye. It's, I think that's one nice thing about Saints kind of down the years. It's amazing the number of players like Marion Pahars who kind of, perhaps they're not at Saints for desperately huge periods of time, maybe yeah. a few, three, four, five years, something like that, which, you know, in a career, maybe you've got a few clubs where you're like that, but it's amazing how many of them cherish their Saints years and kind of consider that, that their their sort of pinnacle and their, their, their favourites and most happy time and, and things like that. And I think that's um, a real sign of, of, of a, a, you know, a good area to live, but also, uh, really nice club down the years. I think that's uh, something a lot of people behind the scenes in in you know years past can take a lot of credit for. So we head into injury time. It's two nil and all done and dusted. Or so you think. One more goal. There's still time for that. Dodd. He flips. Saw the opportunity. Oh! He has got in on the act after all. James Beatty. The game finishes and Saints sit fourth in the Premier League with only Manchester United, Chelsea and Arsenal above them at Christmas. We had an email through from uh, Callum Taylor because I'd asked a few people on Twitter or Facebook if they had any memories of the game. So Callum was our first, so thanks very much for sending that through. Callum lives in Woken and Callum said, I have great memories of that game. Pompey matches are always special, especially the atmosphere, and it was nice to beat them comfortably that day. Marin's goal was particularly enjoyable after the time he spent out injured. In terms of Redknapp, it was always nice getting one over on him, but we should forget that less than a year later he would end up as our manager and we all know what happened after that it reiterates that as we are finding out with Saints right now 12 to 18 months can be an awful long time in football hard to argue with that Adam no <laughs> no those years were pretty turbulent I remember more about what was going on behind the scenes with all these things than I do about any of the games to be honest with you and uh, yeah two things I think one the Harry Redknapp affair and two uh, the Rupert Lowe's return with Michael Wilde um, and, and all the things that had gone on and went on in the six months prior to that were the, probably two of the main things that made me uh, think you never say never when it comes to football and, and you can never really be surprised by anything that happens. Steve, I'm hesitant to say this, bearing in mind what could happen next season with the way things are going, but I guess we all miss those games and the atmosphere against Pompey, don't we? The, the only sort of true South Coast rivalry. Yeah, to an extent. I mean, it's been fun having them at such a distance away from us. I remember, not sure if it was if it was Adam's back page headline, but that great day about three or four years ago when the back page headline was easily against Pompey as a league fixture, mm. um, when they were struggling at the at the bottom end of League Two, and it was it was genuinely feasible that they could end up going into the conference. And we've obviously had many chuckles and eye rolling at some of the absolutely ridiculous stuff that's gone on off the pitch down there um, over the years. You do kind of miss having a proper rivalry mm. um, with someone. And we've, we've not really had it with anybody other. I, I mean, I guess from a sort of very one-sided perspective, you, you'd say Liverpool, but yeah. that's for reasons other than it actually being sort of a proper rivalry. That's just because they've basically pillaged us. 
So I guess maybe give it a few years because I, d- I wouldn't want them sort of building up too much momentum. Or maybe just a cup draw because let's face it, we've we've not beaten them since 2005, I think, mm. in that um, that FA Cup fourth round game, I think it was. Yep. With um, Peter Crouch's last minute last penalty. Last minute penalty, yeah, that's right. I think half the problem with that is they never sort of make it past the first round these days, do they? So. No, no. They've got perceived bragging rights on the basis that we've not beaten them for um, 13 years now. Mm. Um, obviously missing the fact that they've been too dreadful for us to be forced to actually stoop to their level again. Yeah. But yeah, it'd be, be nice just to get that opportunity just to kind of rub their noses in it and get that winning record back again. Well, that was the first total recall, Southampton 3, Portsmouth 0, December 2003. Be interested to know what you thought of it. Hope you enjoyed it. But um, yeah, just something to sort of plug the gap so that we're not just talking about uh, disappointing and depressing games on the pitch at the moment. Saints have two tough looking away games this coming week, or at least that's what it appears at the moment in time of recording. First, they're due to play Leicester in the Carabao Cup fourth round this coming Tuesday, and then they're away to Manchester City next weekend. Just on behalf of the podcast, firstly, wanted to send our best wishes to everyone at Leicester City Football Club after the helicopter crash yesterday. Adam, off the back of that, I know that at time of recording we're waiting to hear news my question would sort of be do you expect the game to go ahead and then um, you know just sort of your reflections on the really sad events that we saw well no I don't expect the game to go ahead Uh, I don't think uh, it will from the conversations I've had I think that's a decision was probably made fairly quickly and and understandably as well can't really criticize uh, that I I don't know right now as we speak uh, when the game will end up being played they actually do have a little bit of a window until the quarterfinal stage um the international break obviously makes things a little bit awkward um so i I don't know whether it's a case of it goes back a week in a bit right but obviously they've got a slight complication that saints are playing on the sunday at man city which of course is due to effectively tottenham stadium not being ready uh, which has bumped that game back to the sunday so obviously i don't think they could play on tuesday so could they play on wednesday would they really want to play on Wednesday? Would they really want a midweek game in the in a League Cup tie as the first kind of home game after uh, the events of of the weekend and the helicopter crash? I don't know. Maybe they'd like to try and put it to after the international break. But yeah, I mean the the events. Uh, I guess everybody said it. There's not much you can say really that isn't cliched, particularly. But it does kind of put football into perspective a little mm. bit. And I think anybody who's watched the news and We'll uh, look back with with fondness on the title-winning year for Leicester that um, the, the owners there sort of facilitated, really, because it was a, just a fairy tale for English football, and, and it was yeah. fantastic. Um, I I don't mean to sound cold when I when I say this, but I think as well that it would be prudent that there was perhaps um, also a bit of a review into what's taken place from mm-hmm. a safety point of view, because yeah. um, I have 
been at Leicester when that helicopter's taken off in the middle of the pitch before. And unlike a plane which could glide and land, even if it's in trouble, obviously a helicopter, when it gets in trouble, generally just falls out of the sky, unfortunately. I have thought to myself before when I've been there, blimey, given the number of people who are still in the stadium when it's taking off, sort of 45 minutes, an hour after the game, and the number of people milling around, if anything went wrong, there could be quite a lot of casualties here because obviously it could, it could if it landed on the stadium or, you know, in the immediate surrounds, it's not just the people on the helicopter, it's the people that could be caught underneath it, that obviously, or, or in in any uh, explosion or anything that, that could be in trouble. Um, yep. And so I think hindsight is perhaps a wonderful thing, but obviously it seems now that it really perhaps wasn't the best idea to have a helicopter landing in the middle of the pitch and taking off from the middle of the pitch, major football stadium. Um, and I think if there's something positive to come out of it, maybe it's a, it's a look into that and a little bit of a review because um, that'll hopefully stop potentially some of the tragic events as we, we still wait to hear as we speak as to mm. exactly what's happened and, 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 and what loss of life there's been, but um, could potentially... Uh, stop some of it happening again in the future absolutely and Steve just finally on that that situation just uh, again as a football fan that goes up and down the country and follows England I mean again I know you're at Leicester City ground the other week um, watching England and Adam used a a great word there perspective that's why I had written down it it kind of puts things like football and going five games without scoring a goal into real perspective doesn't it oh completely I mean it's it's a very sort of sobering feeling when you see something like that that kind of affects big fan base I mean, let's let's face it there's there's probably only a very small number of even Leicester fans who who will have actually had any any kind of real actual interaction with with their owner and yet the effect it's had on on everybody that you can see in the like with all the press coverage and and things like that and the way that fans of other clubs come come together in in mm. these sort of moments and rivalries tend to get put aside but the way most sort of right-thinking fans rally round and come together with everybody in, in these sort of situations does kind of show that football fans aren't complete arseholes all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, again, I, I should probably just add as well, um, he was a saint. So uh, again, at time of recording, we wish Glenn Hoddle all the best as well as, uh, you know, he's obviously been a, it's been a pretty bad weekend for football, but there we go. Let's, let's move on and try and, uh, Sort of try and get back to talking about Saints. Um, Man City away next week, Adam. Then assuming that the Leicester game doesn't happen, that'll give them a week to prepare for it. And uh, they're probably going to need every minute of that because it's a hard task for the best sides in the Premier League, let alone us. Well, it's going to be a very difficult game, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> again, I, you, I, I find myself almost at the point of, well, what can you say, really? Um, <laughs> it's obviously going to be a hard game. They're obviously a great team. Uh, Saints have done fairly well against them recently, you know, by by the standards of not not winning, but at least being competitive. And when we're looking for positives, we we obviously have got, got a couple of clean sheets in the last couple of games. So yeah, I mean it's going to be very hard to keep out City, but they, even if they're not confident about goal scoring, they've got a certain amount of confidence that's built from a couple of clean sheets. So nobody expects anything other than a comfortable City win, do they? So in this instance i've talked about uh, earlier on the pod about you know maybe the the pressure's kind of getting to them at home to a certain extent especially in those winnable matches or the ones that look winnable on paper but the pressure's off really i mean uh, hoping that they'll be more competitive than they were against liverpool and and chelsea but um i don't suppose anybody expects anything other than a easy city win so the, the the pressure really is off and you never know maybe that's a kind of 
key they want. I mean, if they could get anything, I mean, anything at all, even just a point, it would be a phenomenal result. So, um, yeah, I mean, all, what you really want, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to the words damage limitation from that's what Anfield I've got written here. down here. Yeah, you've taken um, words out of my mouth. Yeah. That, that's really what you're, that's the main, that's the number one priority if you go behind really i think yeah. is is that you have to go into damage limitation mode mm. but until that point then then i think saints give it a go but but how you give it a go i don't know do you try and go toe to toe with them well that seems madness do you just hope you can park the bus and, and maybe they have a bit of an off day and you you never know on the counter-attack perhaps it's a difficult one isn't it? so a bit like we said with the liverpool game you're a little bit damned if you do damned if you don't if you're mark hughes in in that respect unless you end up getting something in, indeed going toe-to-toe and feels like a gazelle going toe-to-toe with a lion but uh you're, you're right i had damage uh, damage limitation written down here steve and I, I i assume that's probably what we're going to go and do and try and park the bus and frustrate and you know i think probably as a Saints fan, I think you would probably expect and respect Saints to do that because I think if they did go there and try and play football, it could be pretty embarrassing. So I don't, I don't foresee really any problem with damage limitation. Uh, no, to an extent. Oh, I it think sounds negative. I know. Yeah. 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 Of course. But I, th- I think you've, you've always got to have an idea of how you might do something at the other end. But I think the bulk of our game uh, next Sunday is going to be revolving around how, how we keep our shape. Um, how we keep ourselves organised and how we shut down the the little pockets of space that City like to exploit. Um, I'm thinking particularly in behind the fullbacks. I suspect we'll probably go with five at the back, yeah. um, just because then Cedric's got a little bit more support inside of him, and we don't kind of then drag the whole of the back four across and then leaving someone free at the far post again. I mean, as you say, I mean in in recent years we've we've done okay against City. Both of the games last season we we were done. L- Deep, deep in injury time, which kind of gave City probably undeserved wins in both of those games. Mm. I think, yeah. to be honest, yep. um, even the one, even the one up there where we we got back to one all, we did the woodwork once or twice. I think had a couple of other really presentable chances. I mean, it's just those those moments where you switch off, and it's the it's the quality that they've that they've got and their the riches at their disposal. But I think realistically, we're we're not expecting to get anything from there. But it's I mean, damage limitation is obviously the right description, but you can't go into the game with that mindset as players, I don't think, which is going to be difficult because obviously we're low in confidence as a general rule anyway. Um, but then I suppose maybe that maybe that kind of presents this game as a bit of a free hit mm. because nobody's expecting us to get anything other than a distinct thrashing. And, well, who knows? But one, one interesting thing from for that game is that, of course, because of Spurs' inability to build a stadium, of course, they play at Spurs at Wembley um, tomorrow night on the Monday, Monday night. night. That's right, yeah. And then their League Cup game is against Fulham on Thursday. Mm. So, I mean, you would assume that they will make a number of changes, but it means that then they're not going to be quite as fresh as as they would normally. Yep. Um, yep. I'm sure. I'm sure they'll have probably four or five of their first team regulars playing. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, who who knows if we can exploit a bit of that tiredness, maybe if. If Fulham kind of wake up a little bit and just and stop defending like idiots, like they've been all, been doing all season, and get back to playing playing an attacking game that that got them promoted in the first place, then who knows? It might might cause them a few problems on on Thursday, and then all of a sudden they're having to bring first teamers off the bench um, when they would have normally wanted to rest them. And of course, we're I mean ninety nine point nine percent certain that we're going to be not playing this midweek now, so. Mm-hmm. 
we've got all week to prepare and, and get ourselves ready for it. Be interesting to see what Hughes' tactical plan is. I feel a lot more positive now than before you started that answer, Steve. So come on, give us a prediction. Yeah, despite all that, I'm still going for a 5 0 defeat. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, Sorry. Steve, you talked it up so much. <laughs> can I, can I just, cl- yeah, can I just clarify? Five nil defeat. Which, which direction, Steve? Sorry. Manchester City five nil. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. So yeah, I was just wanted to check. So, uh, crikey, there we go. Car, I wasn't expecting that. So, Adam, what about you? <laughs> um, uh, I will go three nil, Man City. Three nil. Good. All right. Well, I, um, I, I don't feel quite as optimistic uh, as maybe Steve did to start with but ended with a crescendo there so I'm going to split the difference and go for 4-0 City we, I think we're learning our lesson from the Newcastle game Adam oh Steve brilliant good alright Thank you for listening to TSP. We hope you've enjoyed it, particularly our total recall that we did earlier on. Please do let us know. Before we go, a quick shout out to Jake Hesketh as well for his great goal down at Fratton Park during the week. A quality strike, but a pretty average knee slide, if I'm honest. I've always thought he's a great talent, so it's good to see him scoring some goals. Thanks to Steve and Adam as well. If you are trick-or-treating this week, just be careful if you are going to Adam's because he has got dogs and he will let them out. Um, We'll be back next time, albeit without Steve, who's away for a couple of weeks. And remember that uh, at the end of the day, football is only a game life is far more precious so see you soon and keep marching in days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com and there it is that's as good as it gets on this stage nissan townstar ev strikes again it's an unstoppable van unstoppable Look, just fantastic you can actually see the pro pilot technology in action effortless parallel parking it moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty and with a bench full of all-star van experts there's real strength in depth here that's all-star quality search nissan townstar ev and visit your local all-star van center to see for yourself Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.